calendar that we were going to begin a, a new long-term study, a new long-term series, but with this still being the summer, people still being on vacation, I decided I wanted to kind of do just a little mini-series to close out the summer. Something to get you guys, you know, just us coming off of a missions trip, getting you guys ready to go back to school, back to your mission fields. And really, when we think about it, we lost 12 to 15 seniors in this ministry. The landscape of the solid youth ministry right now is completely different than what it was two months ago. So coming off a missions trip, getting ready, gearing back up for school, the new ministry landscape of what things look like, and we have the missions conference coming back up. Uh, I wanted to just take a little small break, a parenthesis period, if you will, and look at something that really is the heartbeat of God. And I touched on this on one of the Sundays I preached, uh, you know, actually just last Sunday. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> it was Wednesday night I touched on it here. Uh, sorry, my days and weeks are still running together. Uh, but we touched on it in Colossians chapter 3. When Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that we are to set our affection on things above, not on the earth. And the things that are above are in heaven. Those are things that are going to last for all of eternity. You know what's in heaven? For those of you who are here Wednesday night, what is it? There were four things predominantly. Even if you weren't here, can you at least guess to see what's in heaven forever? Caleb! Man's souls, the word of God, yeah. God, angels. And the throne. Yeah, there's angels, but we don't really need to set our affections on those things. I guess when you compare Scripture to Scripture, that's how you come to the conclusion of these four things that we should keep an eye on that God says specifically should get our heart. And we know God is there, and we know that our heart and our affection should be geared towards Him. We know the Word of God should be, hopefully, we've been hammering enough of the throne of God, knowing that one day, for those of you who call upon the name of the Lord and are walking with Him, have a relationship with Him, you're going to give an account before that throne one day for your service here. But that last piece, or the first piece that Caleb mentioned, it's people. People are the heartbeat of God. That's something that you're going to hear this coming Wednesday night when we share our, our feedback, our recap from Mexico about what God did in us and through us, not for the sake of having a great time, not for the sake of eating and gorging ourselves on tacos, not for the sake of hanging out with friends and family who are very dear to us in the ministry. Those were all little side points. Those were all benefits. But the primary focus, the primary goal for us going on this trip, the primary focus when you guys go back to your school is not just to get good grades. Should be a byproduct, but not the prime product, not the primary focus. Shouldn't just be for you to see your friends you haven't seen all summer long. The primary focus of this new ministry that we have right now, of incoming freshmen, of all the seniors that we left, or that left rather, and for gearing up for this missions conference, the primary focus of our heart and of this ministry needs to be on people. And so I wanted to take this little parenthesis, this little mini-series leading up to the missions conference, both on these Sunday mornings and even on Wednesday night. We're going to study peculiar people. So, of course, me being a definition guy, I had to put down what does peculiar mean, because it's not as though it's a part of your guys' everyday language. It sure, certainly isn't for me. So I have it on your outline there, peculiar. It means particularly special. 
It also means one's own property or belonging to a person and to him only. And if you look at the bottom of your study sheet there in the footer, I have this verse printed out for you in 1 Peter 2.9. The Bible says about you that you are a chosen generation. Yes, even as messed up as this generation is, you guys are very, very peculiar and particular to God. You're special to Him. You are a royal priesthood. You have a direct connection with God the Father, just like the Old Testament priests do, if you're saved, if you're in Him. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. I mention this passage all the time, and really it, is, it should be a verse that every single one of you have memorized, but 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and that ye are not your own? You're peculiar, but you've been bought with a price, as verse 20 says. You belong to Him. You are His property. God is very much in the interest of controlling every single aspect of your life. We're going to touch on this a lot when we begin our Wednesday series for the fall. I'm still not going to tell you what it is. And if I already did, forget about it. But we're going to touch on this aspect even more about God's interest in controlling every aspect of your life. Why? Because look at how He ends the verse. That ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His what? Enunciation, please. Into His what? Light. That's where we get our name from. When you were saved, it wasn't just for you to go to heaven forever. You know this. You were saved so that you could be a peculiar people, so that God could have control of every aspect of your life. Not just because He's a controlling and demeaning God. No, not at all. Quite the opposite. But rather so that He could take your life and you can get out of the way to demonstrate and show forth the praises of everything He's doing in your life. From transforming you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, which is light peculiar people because you don't belong to yourself. Your life is not your own anymore. And that's why also in Colossians chapter 3, the very passage where he talks about setting your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, that same passage, he says in verse 3, you're dead. Ye are dead. Your life is hid with Christ. God is very interested in living his life through you. Because remember, his life ended and was crucified for the payment of your sins. He gets to live on through us if we let him when we choose to die to self every single day. I'm not going to go do this because, Lord, you're in control. I really want to do this, but Lord, what do you want from me? That is how you become a peculiar person. That is how you become particularly special to God and used of Him. So we're going to take this time and look at a couple people throughout Scripture that were peculiar. And part number one, we're going to look at Timothy. You guys are in Acts chapter 16, right? All right, well, let's check out his humble origins. Look with me in verse 1. 
Before we dive into that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I do want to thank you very, very much for everything that you have done and are doing and are going to do. Uh, Lord, I don't know what this year holds. I don't know what the rest of the summer even holds. I just know you are God and that there is none else. And if we would but wake up every single morning with that reality, with that mindset that our life is not our own, we are dead. Our life is hid in Christ. And that this life that you have given us, it is yours to be lived in through us. And we are not to get in the way of that. So God, please open the eyes of our hearts. Open the eyes of our souls to see people through the Scripture the way you saw them. And then consequently to see ourselves as you see us so that we can become peculiar, so that we can be used by you, so that we can see each other in this ministry the way that you see us. And we can love on each other so that we can then go out to the rest of the world and love on the lost world the same way you do. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Acts chapter 16, we see that Paul's already in the midst of his ministry. He's already going all throughout Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria. He's preaching the gospel both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, which is what he was called to do to the entire world. And of course, as is the standard operating procedure with the book of Acts, whenever God is working, what also happens? Who else is working? Satan. That's what happens in church history. We just covered that in Revelation not too long ago. So here's what happens. Verse 1. Then came he, Paul, to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there, named who? Now, for those of you who don't know, Timotheus is also Timothy. Just making sure you're all awake. And the, certain, or the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Man, you know what? You know what we find here with Timothy? It says here that his mom was what? What was her nationality? Louder. Jewish. And what was her dad? Or his dad, sorry. Greek. He was a Gentile. Understand that during this time and during this day and age in the book of Acts, this was a huge no-no. He was looked at as less than because he was a half-breed. Because he was from a mixed race. Because his mom was of one nationality and his dad was of another. And not only that, but what did we see in verse 2? Not only did he know it, but everybody in the town knew who this guy was. Everybody in the town knew this guy's family background, knew his history, knew how messed up his home life was, which is interesting, especially for what we're going to look at in here in a little bit. But you kind of get the picture and the connotation that his dad wasn't around. You get that connotation from this and from the rest of the passages because you don't really know much else about his dad. Everybody in town knew what was up with this guy. You think they were saying good things about him? No. No. He knew his, they knew his reputation. You see, in point one, we see that his home life and reputation were a mess due to his family background. You know the thing that stinks about that is that Timothy had absolutely no control over that. 
He had no control over what kind of family he could be born into. He had no control over what his parents and their life would be like, their family situation, their home life. He had absolutely no control over that. And unfortunately, because people suck and people are sinners, he had to follow the brunt of all of this persecution and all of this ridicule and all this shame and all of this embarrassment. Happens thus too. Happens thus too. Maybe you didn't come from a home that was picture perfect. Me neither. Or maybe you do come from a home where, man, you got it good. Be thankful for it. Because there are some people, they don't have it as good. But as we're going to see, and you kind of already know the end of the story, it doesn't matter what your home life or your background or your reputation is, God can still use you in a massive way to the point where your name is forever recorded in Scripture and your life is forever a testimony of just how far God can go with you if you let Him, if you become peculiar. And hold your place here in Acts 16 and turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I love this. This is a beautiful picture of grace. Because not only were his home life and his reputation an absolute mess due to his family background, things that were outside of the realm of his control. But you know what we see in point number two on your outline? In spite of all of these things, yet the Lord was faithful to provide a godly influence. You guys in 2 Timothy chapter 1? Give me a reader for verse 5. James. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in me, which dwelt first in my grandmother Lois and my mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in me also. Okay, so we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So who's... What? No, you're good. Sorry. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Who is Paul writing to here? Checking to make sure you're all awake. Jaden, don't roll your eyes in the back of your head like you did in Mexico. You're about ready to pass out again. I can see it. Get some electrolytes in you, bro. Can you get a water bottle? No, he's fine. <laughs> he wasn't even really sleeping either. I just saw the... <laughs> Who's Paul writing to? It's not a trick question. Think with me. Wake up. Timothy. Timothy. He's speaking to him. And he says, there was unfeigned faith. You know what the word unfeigned means? It means sincere. It means genuine. It means he's the real deal. He's not faking it. He's not pretending to be one thing on Sundays and another thing the rest of the week with his friends. And it dwelt first in his grandmother Lois and in his mom Eunice. And he says, I'm persuaded it's in thee also. You see, even though his home life was a wreck, God still gave him a godly influence to teach him, to raise him up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Jump over to chapter 3 real quick. Give me a reader for verses 14 and 15. Kendall. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now think about it. Timothy from a mixed home, which again, in this culture, the Jews looked heavily down on because his dad was a Gentile. 
Yet this kid had a copy of the scriptures in his home, and we already know from the testimony of his grandmother and his mother that they were faithful, that they were godly. And they taught him here in verse 15 the holy scriptures. And as we see what the Bible alone is and what it's capable of, it can make you wise unto salvation if you just simply believe it and receive it as it is in truth, the Word of God. It doesn't matter what your upbringing's like. If you have this book and no one else, if you were on a desert island with this book and nothing and no one else, you would be able to know the ins and outs of this book and to have a godly walk with the Lord. You could become a peculiar person just by this book alone. But God used his grandmother and his mom to teach him the Word of God in spite of everything that may have happened in his life. Again, maybe you don't have that in either one of your parents, or maybe you came from a situation where one of your parents is more godly than the other one, or actually is saved and the other one isn't. You have an advocate. You have a, a comrade here in Timothy. Same thing happened with him. And look what God was able to do with him. We'll see that more in a little bit. Flip back to Acts 16. Talk about humble origins. Even so, the Lord was faithful to provide a godly influence. But not only that, we're not just talking about humble origins of his background and his family life. We're talking about humble origins of the first time we see him show up here in the Bible. We're talking about humble origins of his walk with Christ. Because somebody read for me what God asked him to do in verse 3. Somebody else. Somebody with a pulse. Caleb. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. <laughs> so just so you guys are aware, at the time of this writing, Timothy's not eight days old. He's not a newborn baby. He's a grown man. And he wasn't circumcised. And there's a reason for this too. Because if you were to look at chapter 15 of the book of Acts, you'd see that there were a lot of Jews that were believers that started to rise up and to cause trouble for Paul and the other disciples by adding things to the Word of God, adding things to salvation, by saying that, hey, it's good that you trust Christ as your Savior, but if you want to maintain your salvation, you need to add the works of the Jewish law in order to maintain your salvation. And they started preaching all of this nonsense and all of this false doctrine, so Paul had to straighten them out. The only problem was he would bring his disciple along with him, which is what you should be doing if you're a discipler, involving your disciple in the work of the Lord. And every time Paul would go to try to address them, they wouldn't hear a word that Paul had to say because he's hanging out with a Gentile, someone who wasn't circumcised. And so... In order to not be a stumbling block from others hearing the Word of God, in order to not be a hindrance of the gospel going forth, Timothy is willing to do something completely and utterly drastic. He's willing to become absolutely vulnerable and as a grown man, get circumcised. Now you think about that. 
don't think about it too much, but <laughs> think about it though. What does it say there? He took and circumcised him because of the Jews, for they knew all his father was a Greek. Imagine how those conversations went. Paul, get your Gentile dog out of here. Oh no, fellas, you don't understand. He's not a Gentile. He's gone so far. He cares about you guys so much. He has gone so far to adopt the customs of Judaism to become as a Jew so that you guys would hear what we have to say. Oh, really? Nice try. Everybody in town knows who this dude's dad was. All right, Tim. Show him. You don't think that sort of thing happened? Of course it did. They wouldn't believe Paul otherwise. Just by taking him on his word? Uh -uh. You see, in point three, we see that Timothy had to go to drastic measures and he became vulnerable to be used of God. Do you want to be used of God? Or do you just want to play church? If you want to be used of God, it's going to require drastic measures in some cases, and it's going to require you becoming vulnerable in front of others. You might need to let your weaknesses show every now and then. That's okay. Because God takes those weaknesses, and He shows how mighty and how strong He actually is. Check out 2 Corinthians 12 later today. You'll see that. That's what Timothy was willing to do for the sake of the gospel. What are you willing to do? So we see in letter B, he goes from rags to riches. These humble origins of poverty to the riches and wealth that is a walk with Christ. You know what the rest of the Bible says about him? It says that in point one, he took on a supporting role in the form of a servant so that the work could continue. We don't have the time to look at it, even though it's just one chapter over. But in Acts 17, as Paul is in Thessalonica, he's preaching to those, those Greeks and the Jews that are in Thessalonica, trying to lead them to saving faith in Christ. And again, those old enemies, the Pharisees, people who should have been on his side because they knew the Bible so well, and watch out for so-called believers that you go to school with who should be on your side, but they might be causing more harm than good with their false doctrine. The Jews started causing up all of this issues and all of this controversy to the point that Paul couldn't be used there anymore. So you know what he did? You know what Timothy did? It says in Acts 17, verse 14, And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they conducted Paul, or they that conducted Paul, brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for, to come to him with all speed, they departed. So Paul was in Thessalonica. He eventually moves into Berea where he starts preaching the gospel, and there's trouble there as well. So Paul, for the sake of his life, for the sake of the gospel being furthered, he has to leave to go to Athens, and he keeps his guys, Silas and Timothy, there to take the brunt of the force to take the brunt of the persecution, to take the brunt of all the inquiries and the questions about the gospel. These there as the man in between so that the main guy, Paul, can go elsewhere and not lose his head before his time is due. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul continues, he touches on this very story here. 
when he's writing to the church in Thessalonica about this very incident. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 1, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Again, picking up right where the book of Acts 17 leaves off. And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Now, before we go on, Note the order of things. They're in Thessalonica, and they go to Berea, which is near Thessalonica. And then Paul goes to Athens and sends commandment for Timothy to come with him to Athens. So Timothy's in Athens, taking the brunt of the force of the persecution. Paul tells him, come see me in Athens. And we just read here that Paul's like, okay... I need to know what's going on with the church in Thessalonica. It's driving me absolutely insane. Are they still a church or did they succumb to the persecution and did they give in? I don't know what's going on. I need to know. So Tim, I know you risked your life for me in Athens or in Thessalonica. And I know you came all the way to Athens at my request, but now I got to send you back. Do we hear Timothy griping, complaining? Nope. He goes to check on other believers, to follow up. And honestly, to do things outside of his comfort zone. Do things that don't make him feel the greatest. Do things that don't cause him to just stay in his little chair on Wednesdays and Sundays and just be content where he's at. He's got to get up and go do something. And he goes and he checks in on this church. Look at verse 6. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, so now he goes back to Athens to give a report on how the church is doing, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. This church was suffering for it. And don't look this over. Don't pass this up. Timothy was just going to see, hey, how you guys doing? And yet that very act was so important to God that He forever put it in His Word. Just a simple task of checking in on the believers. Following up. How you doing? Putting himself in danger. That's a worker for you. That's a peculiar person. Because Timothy realized his wealth that he had in Christ, the riches he had in Christ, and he knew that even if it cost him his life going back to Athens just to check on the flock, it was worth it. You see in number two, not only that in the supporting role of a servant, but he was also delegated to check up on other churches in Paul's stead. I got 1 Corinthians 4 up here on the screen. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus. He's going to Corinth now. Carnal capital city of the world. Who is my beloved son in the faith, a disciple, and faithful in the Lord. Who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So not only was Timothy the one coming and checking on these guys, but you know that he was reminding them, you guys are in a world of a mess. You need to get your walks right with Christ. You need to set your ways straight. 
Repent of this garbage that you find yourselves in. And then later in the, ch- in the book, chapter 16, he says, Now if Timoth- or Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear. Why? For he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Why do you think God would do that? Word something like that. He worketh the work. Why not just say he does the work? Because whenever you see a verb that says E-T-H at the end of it, you know what that means? It means it's continual. He doesn't just do it once and then it's done. It is a continual working of not just a work, but the work of the Lord. You know what I think God is telling us here through this constant reminder and the, this weird phrasing of working the work, worketh the work, is that the work of the Lord, wait for it, is work. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. If it were easy, everybody would be making themselves vulnerable before God with the sacrifices of their time, their talent, and their treasures. Things that, yes, they want to do and their heart is tied to doing, but the work of the Lord is more important. So I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to worketh the work. You know what Paul, or you know what Timothy was doing here? Outreach. Calling on his brothers and sisters to see how you doing. What's God been doing in your life recently? Hey, how's your life been since we came back for that missions trip? Have you been feeling the heat of the persecution? Hey, how have your commitments been since camp? Have you been slacking on it? Or is God still working you on those things? And are you still faithful with those commitments? That's how you become a peculiar person. Reaching out. Constantly working the work. Number three, as a result of this, he suffered persecution with Paul as a result of his faithfulness. Three passages up here on the screen. It's the first verse in the book of Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Boy, Corey, those are odd verses to choose. Well, look and you'll see Paul starts off each of those letters. He says, Paul and Timotheus. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. You know what's interesting about these three books? Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, they comprise three of the four prison epistles. Paul wrote all four of those books while in prison. The only one that's not up here is Ephesians who Timothy just so happened to be the pastor thereof. But as you see in these other three epistles, while Paul wrote them from a jail cell, who's right there with him? Anyone want to take a stab in the dark? Timotheus. Thank you. Timothy, when you worketh the work of the Lord, it ain't going to come for free. Are we ready for that? Are we ready to go back to school? Are we ready to come out of the darkness into His marvelous light to be a peculiar person? Because this is what's going to be your reward. (laughs) 
part of me wonders, I, I never saw this before, but part of me wonders if Timothy got thrown in prison because of the letter to the book of, or to Ephesians. That probably somebody caught wind of that letter, and my, what a powerful punch that book packs. And he probably got Timothy, threw him in jail, and then Paul wrote the rest of the prison letters with him. I wonder. All these epistles were written around the same time. No one really knows which letter came first. So who knows? And number four, you know what we find with Timothy? He pastored the church in Ephesus where he had his ups and downs, but finished his course faithfully. Seeing a theme with the blanks here? I have another slew of random verses, but follow with me as, I, as we go through this. You guys see that in the back, or is it a little too tiny font? I'll read it. So 1 Timothy 1.20, we see again, Paul is writing these two letters to Timothy to, to try to encourage his faithful disciple to pastor the church of Ephesus. And in chapter 1, verse 20, he says, Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Here Paul is telling Timothy that, hey, you got to watch out for these two guys. Uh, they'll say that they're of you. They'll say that they have the same things in common with us, but they ain't of us. These guys are entertaining sin. They're blaspheming. And Timothy, he goes, don't have people like this in your church because they're just going to go ahead and cause you more and more issues. If you see another brother in the church who models this behavior, you got to call it out, Tim. You can't just let it go. That was his first letter. And note what he says in the second letter. And their word, 2 Timothy 2.17, will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, no mention of Alexander, but our boy Hymenaeus is still here, and he's got a new friend, Philetus, because Satan has his own disciples as well. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. So these guys aren't just blaspheming. They're not just entertaining and engulfed in sin. They're also spreading false doctrine now. Saying that the resurrection is past and overthrow the faith of some. And then I have this last verse on here, going back to 1 Timothy where Paul tells Timothy, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. This is going to be a little tough, but I want you guys, who here wants to try to connect the dots? What do these three verses have in common? Stuff. It all touches on false doctrine. Okay. I'm with you there. I'll bite. Yes. Verse 23 is definitely taken out of context of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and becomes false doctrine. So the whole verse Timothy 5.23 where Paul's telling him, hey, stop drinking water, drink a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake. Don't quote me on this, but I believe this is the probably the only verse in the entire Bible where it is commended to drink wine. But note the context. Is he saying it to have fun, to be frivolous? No. It's for medicinal purposes. 
you guys know that when you take like NyQuil and other medications that they have alcoholic effects to not alcoholic as in alcoholism, but like uh, effects of what alcohol would, they didn't have medicine like we have today back then. And we get from this verse that Timothy was having some issues, possibly stomach ulcers. Stomach ulcers are come from stress, stress of the ministry, stress of the work of the Lord, from working the work of the Lord. Probably, probably because Timothy didn't have the stomach for the ministry like he needed to have. As evidenced, by the top two verses there of not having the guts to stand up to people and to call them out on their sin and false doctrine. We don't just get this from this verse alone, but there's three pastoral letters in the Bible. First and Second Timothy and what's the book after Second Timothy? Titus. Titus. Titus was a pastor. You ever notice how there's only one letter to Titus and not two? That's because Paul would say things to Titus like, Hey, there are guys who are at your church whose mouths must be stopped. Rebuke them harshly. Rebuke them with all authority. You look at the way that Paul talks to Titus. He talks to Titus a lot different than he does Timothy. To the point where you kind of glean from it that Titus was a man not to be trifled with. That if you gave him a command to do something, he was going to do it, and boy, was he going to make sure it got done thoroughly. From these verses, we see Timothy probably not so much. And he probably didn't know how to deal with stress well. Mark it down. The work of the Lord is going to be stressful. You better know how to deal with it properly. All you have to do is just do what God tells you to do. And yeah, it'll be tough at first. It'll be painful a little bit. But God will take care of you. He always takes care of His own. Always. Tough times call for tough people. And when the going get tough, the tough get going. He had his downs in ministry. But he also had his ups. We've seen some of them. But, as I mentioned, he finished his course faithfully. Timothy was the celebrated disciple of St. Paul and bishop or pastor of Ephesus. By the way, so we have First and Second Timothy. We have the book of Ephesians, and we also, for those of you who are here in our Revelation study, have the letter to the church of Ephesus in church history. Anybody remember, what was the main condemnation of that church in Revelation chapter 2? They had a lot of great things about them. They were hardworking, they were disciple-making, they believed the Bible, they were fruitful, but their reigns were far from them. What did God say about them? They left their first love. I remember when I read that, I thought, man, Timothy probably failed at the end of his life. And I came across Fox's Book of Martyrs, 
where he zealously governed or led the church until A.D. 97. At this period, as the pagans were about to celebrate the feast called Catagogian, Timothy, meaning the procession, <laughs> severely rebuked them for their ridiculous idolatry, which so exasperated the people that they fell upon him with their clubs and beat him in so dreadful a manner that he expired of the bruises two days later. <laughs> I, I just I can't imagine Timothy probably getting a hold of the book of Titus and be like, what? That guy only got one letter and I got two? I'll show him. Not really. I'm sure he wasn't that arrogant. But man, the downs, he dropped the ball. He dropped the ball of not rebuking people. And look what it led. It bred disciples of the enemy. But man, does he go out swinging. I love that. Yeah, forever recorded in God's Word, His mistakes. There might be some mistakes that you make. It's going to be forever known. God can still use you. And you can go out with a bang. So number two. We're called to make full proof of your ministry. Here's the application. Letter A. It doesn't matter what your family upbringing is like or the reputation you may have as a result of them. God can still use you. Turn over to your left a little bit to Philippians chapter 3. We already looked at someone who came from not the best household with Timothy. Now we're going to look at somebody who came from, man, the best type of household you could possibly come from. And we're still going to see what God has to say about that. Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking here. Look at verse 5. He's like, man, if you guys think you have the glory, you have something, the glory in the flesh, look at me. Look, at, here's my life story. He goes, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. You realize that the tribe of Benjamin, they were the strongest warriors in all the Bible? Paul's sitting here, he's like, hey, you guys think that you have the boast? You know where my background is? You know what my family upbringing was? The tribe of Benjamin, homie. And a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. That's who he was. Concerning zeal. I persecuted the church. It doesn't get much more zealous than that. It doesn't get much more passionate than that. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted, what? Loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, in comparison to my relationship and my walk with God, everything is lost. Everything is but dung, as he says next. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That's why it doesn't matter if you came from a crappy home life or a good home life. All of it is lost and dung compared to our walk with Christ. New beginnings. Doesn't matter what your past is. What matters is right now and where you're going. Camp 2022, anyone? Because look what he says in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, keep a single focus on this, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forth unto those things which are before. You are not your parents' faith, whether good or bad. You are you. What is your walk with Christ like now, today? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter what your background was like. Doesn't matter what your reputation is. God could still use you. And maybe things are going good for you. Do not discount anyone who maybe it's not going good for them. God can still use them. You love on them like Paul loved on Timothy. Letter B, how far are you willing to go to be used by God? Are you willing to be vulnerable to others? Listen to 1 Corinthians 9. Don't turn there, just listen. Paul's saying, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. You don't have to do anything to anyone. Timothy didn't have to get circumcised. He didn't. He was in the time of grace. He was in the church period. He didn't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. He became a servant. You know why? Here's how Paul ends that verse. That I might gain the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, for Christ is the context. And he keeps going on. He says, all of these things I become, I make myself of no reputation. In verse 22, he says, to the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. He made himself vulnerable so that he could win others to Christ. He says, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save just some. Just some. How far are you willing to go to be made vulnerable just to save one person? How far will you go? How far will you go to make sure that your brothers and sisters in this room are like-minded with you to save just one person in school this year? To lead in the saving faith of Christ. And lastly, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll end here. This is the last chapter Paul would ever write before he has his head lopped off. If you were in that prison cell and you heard the gate open and you heard the marching steps of your executioners coming to take you away for the last time, what are the last words you would ever pen? This is what he put. Verse 1, I charge thee, Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. When it's not popular to preach the word of God, you preach it like it is popular. When it's not popular to take your Bibles with you to school, you take it and you have it displayed on your desk at all times, regardless if you get a chance to read it or not. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Two-thirds of preaching is negative, by the way. With all long-suffering and doctrine. you got to be patient, and you got to know what you believe. Why? 
Verse 3, for the time will come while they are not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. This is the state of Christianity today. This is the state of most of your friends you go to school with and the churches they belong to. By and large, this is their state. They have teachers, no preachers. And they just tickle their ears, telling them what they want to hear. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Because that's all Christianity is to some of them, is a fairy tale. But watch thou in all things. Be on guard. Look. Endure afflictions. Do the work. Worketh the work of an evangelist. Make foolproof of thy ministry. Make your calling and election sure. Know what it is that God expects of you of this year and do it. Make foolproof of it. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. Can you say that at the end of your life? But if the end of your life was today, would you be able to say that before the judgment seat of Christ? I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now here's where it comes in for all of us. Henceforth, if you do these seven verses, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Some of you might be way too comfortable living here in Laodicea that you're not looking forward to the day of Him coming back. I want a crown of righteousness. And I want to look forward to Him coming back. But when I look forward to Him coming back, I realize just how short of a time it is and I realize I got to get busy working the work. Letter C. The key to faithfulness is not how you start, but how you finish. Timothy had his ups and downs. Started from humble origins. A rough background. But man, did he go out with a bang. Let's pray.